Bigger than cakes. Give me some outsiders. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and once again, I'm joined by Angela. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode that yes. was just us, I think. Yes, because that was Jules Verne and his lighthouse. It was Jules Verne and his lighthouse, <laughs> uh, which immediately connects to what we're talking about today. Yeah, nice, um, nice segue. Yeah, unless you wanted to do like some kind of intro or something, but I don't really intro. have any news. Or... I have a little bit of news that I completely forgot to bring up on the Roundup podcast. I mean, sure, we can do we can which, use it. Which, which was that um, Valiant are going to try and do prose books. Yes, yeah. Um, I don't know why I didn't bring that up. I've I've read the like press release for this, and I. I've already forgotten much of the details. Well, there isn't much. That'll probably be they, they don't really... <laughs> there are no specific titles that they've specified. Um, <laughs> nor Nor writers that they have specified. Um, they're just doing it is basically it. All your favourite Valiant characters in print. As if they're not already <laughs> in yeah. print. I'm right in thinking they've already done a faith like young adult. Yes. Thing. I don't think it was like a full on big book, but they did do some sort of faith related no pictures version. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um I mean it's interesting. It's I, I guess unexpected. I mean I'm thinking because obviously Marvel did it specifically with Squirrel Girl. There were two um yes. YA um, novels for her. Yeah. Which are okay. Um, it does tend to be a kind of like young adult yeah. or aimed at kids kind of thing quite frequently. Yeah. I'm just imagining the YA version of Bloodshot and getting nowhere with it. <laughs> I mean, leave, I, leave yeah. that idea with me. Yeah. <laughs> leave that with me. I feel like Faith is the obvious choice. Yeah, kind of, kind of faith, renegades, that kind of yeah, teenage group. I can see that yeah. you can. Yeah, if only they hadn't killed off Gen Zero. Yeah, if only you had like a group of you know like ten. Yeah. You know, early teens kind of kids that you weren't doing mm. anything with that you could send on like famous five style adventures. Yeah. I I don't really know what that would involve. No. I. I feel like Famous Five is kind of locked into the time period. <laughs> very much, very much. It's not It's not aged well, I'll be honest. I can't say I've revisited in the last 20 years. But... No. Um, but yeah, it's. I think certain things will lend it to it more than others. Like I say, it is because that genre tends more towards the younger end of the market. I can't see them doing Bloodshot or Eternal Warrior or any of that. Um Secret weapons would be good. Yeah. Remember, they co- those characters do exist. That's nice. <laughs> you know, absolutely great characters that have just fallen by the way. So yeah, uh, I I could be I could be into that. I, mm. I I do wonder if it's going to end up taking a Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe kind of non-canon, inexplicable approach, or if they'll try and tie it <laughs> together. Or 
I think it, it, unless it if it works, we might fold it into canon. If it doesn't work, we might just ignore it. If, if you just... like it, it's canon. If not, if people don't like it, yeah. don't worry, it wasn't canon. Yeah, pretty much. I can't think. We've talked about something else that does that, and I can't think what it is. We have. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it is. Maybe it was like Valiant previously. Yeah. Who it, they do like to mix up their canon, but. Yeah, no, I think there's potential. Yeah, I, I could see, I can see some kind of novelization. That doesn't. That sounds like it's going to be like <laughs> the book of the Phantom Menace, or. Um, <laughs> but I, I can see certain characters transferring better than others. Um, yeah. I think it's hard to do a character that's kind of all action. So, like, yeah, Bloodshot is. Yeah. A push. You could probably make someone who's a little bit more varied work so like yeah archer and armstrong and quantum buddies yeah, yeah dots and mirage yes yeah. but probably not exo i would have thought i don't Maybe. know it's it depends where you want to pit jarek do you want to go all out space battles or do you want to go here's a guy in a neighborhood trying to make things work I just wonder. <laughs> I, I'm I'm wondering off the back of this, are we going to end up with like you know when TV shows get like novels that take place between stuff? Yeah. So, like um, Supernatural had novels. It did. That just happened yeah. somewhere on the road. I I kind of like the idea of just like there's huge periods in Eric's backstory where time yeah. suddenly moves on without anything. Without time actually moving on in real life, so I kind of like the idea of that. Those like years yeah. where allegedly he got married, had kids. It's, yeah. Can we can we get like a novel of that of yeah. the like just Exo Manor War, just the boring stuff, <laughs> just, yeah. just the everyday yeah. Exo Manor War. Then again, I'm the same person who always pitched that if I was going to write a Superman comic, I would I would want Superman, just the Clark Kent bits. <laughs> Just just Clark going about his day, getting yeah, a coffee, doing some typing. Yeah, pretty much. Just, you know, constantly got to play it down that he's Superman. And that's 22 pages a month. Just Clark, <laughs> like, you know. Oh, no, I opened this carton of orange juice too strong. I've got super strength. Now I have to play it down that I'm just an idiot covered in orange juice. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I why mean, that's my go-to. That would work as a pitch. Yeah. So... You yeah. know, DC is always if you're out there and if you're listening. Um, yeah, I haven't written a lot, but my idea is solid. Nice. I mean, since Tiny Titans finished like 20 years ago, <laughs> there's really a space. There's really a space for me to bring the comedy back to DC because I often like to think yeah. that the C in DC does stand for detective comedy. <laughs> I mean, it should. It should. Wow, I've, yeah. I've gone quite hard on this pitch, there considering we... it was an off-the-cuff. <laughs> yeah, mail it to yourself, as we often say. Uh, I don't remember what we were talking about here. We but... were va- we, we segwayed <laughs> Valiant. Valiant's novels that um, are happening. Good luck. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what we get. It's another one that I do wonder... Like the Faith book, I know about. I've never seen it. No, it, it reputedly exists. 
Yeah, and I, I'm kind of curious, is it going to be a thing we can actually go out and buy? Or, you know, that kind of yeah frequent concern thing. That Yeah, are we actually going to get it? Are we going to get access to it? Will it be freely available on the market or will it just be a pipe dream? Just a, a thing we know about. Then again... You know, we got hold of those Valiant board games, didn't we? So We did. And, and, and that Valiant card game. And I'm and... still confused by it. <laughs> I must look it out. I've not actually looked at it for about 12 months. I try and look at it every year and see if <laughs> just, it makes any more... Just to double check. Yeah, see if it makes any more sense. Um, I feel like that could be a thing that I should attempt at some point. I like to think one of these days we're going to get together and really understand the Valiant <laughs> deck builder. really just gets a grips with what it's talking about in the rules yeah what it means one of these years one of these years indeed so with that being said on a non-valiant note should we talk about yes (laughs) the book we smoothly transitioned into earlier and then yeah and then completely unsegued um so yeah we're talking about hell cop volume one welcome to hell um, by Brian Haberlin, uh, Gerard Van Dyke, and Francis Taganaka. So it's written, illustrated, and covers by Brian Haberlin. Uh, Gerard Van Dyke did the colours, and Frances Taganaga did the lettering. And um, those names are probably familiar if you've listened to the Jules Verne's episode, because that's basically the creative team who did. That book, uh, minus David Hines, who isn't involved in this, Brian Haberlin's gone on his own. Um, so, Hellcop, basically, the genre is reputedly cyberpunk adventure. Who'd have thought? Um, I don't think I catalogued it like that in the reviews. I think I put crime fiction on there, but hey-ho! Yeah, I'm not sure I'm seeing the... I wouldn't have gone cyberpunk. I get the aesthetic, I but... feel like we've got almost a more steampunky. yeah. Steampunk is more. Um, so basically, um, mankind has discovered there are different dimensions. They have invented the technology to travel between two of these dimensions. One particular dimension that is known reality plane 1301-A or KRP 1301-A um, bears a resemblance to hell in that it has demons and other such creatures that I'm sure we will discuss at some point. Um, and basically they have to have people patrolling this hell side because some of these demons make their way over to regular earth and get addicted to sugar. There's a whole black market of demons and sugar going on. Um, so in order to p- patrol this lawlessness, um, they have the Pan-Dimensional Security Corps, which is a bit of a mouthful, so everyone calls them hell cops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of these Hellcops is called Virgil. He is our our main character. Um, and basically he is doing his job. He ends up being framed for murder. Uh, has to go on the run in the Hell Dimension with the help of his friend Taj. And stuff in shoes. Plot. <laughs> P- pretty concise intro. Yeah, I... All those things. Yeah. It's something we covered the first issue of way back when. Uh, yeah, whenever it came out. I'm going to guess about seven months ago. 
That sounds about right, yeah. Because we've just had issue we've, six yeah. and issue six. There wasn't much of a gap between volumes, memory There says. was there was a slight gap. Um of but about I think only a month, a maybe month, two. Yeah. Just a gap of a month. And, and pretty quick to get the trade out as well, which has been good. Yeah, very quick. Um I've just realised how uninteresting that is. <laughs> this is like uh I mean, it's useful to know because sometimes, you know, we'll cover stuff in the Roundup podcast and then it'll actually be months and months before, you know, like it could be a year before the actual trade's out and you see how Oh, you mean like Carmen? Don't, (laughs) don't open that wound. Wherever Carmen is. I'm writing angry letters to Image as we speak over that one. Um, It could be out any week now. Yeah. (laughs) I, I agree. I think it, it is good to know that the books actually do come out. N- not much of a ma- of major praise, but praise I'm making. Um, I did really like the first issue of Hellcop and then kind of was waiting for the trade. Um, similar to Jules Verne in many ways. Yeah. And I think I probably should have read it faster. I think it is good. I think it I think it's good to have the full trade. I think the full arc works. However, I think some of the things that annoyed me a little bit about this I wouldn't have noticed if I'd read it all in singles. Yeah, I found reading it in signal signals? In signals. In signals. Yeah. yeah, did it via um hand signals. Um <laughs> semaphore. No, it was I read it in singles and it read fine in singles. It It is the kind... I know a lot of books we say, oh, no, we'll wait for the trade. And I think that is true for some things. With this, it is one of those that you can read it in trade, but you could also read it in singles and it's 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 yeah. pretty fine. It You follow it through. I didn't notice too many changes mentally between reading it as singles and reading it in trade. Mm. I didn't pick up on things that irritated me. It was just nice to read it as a job lot. But at the same time, I missed that. It was one of those that was my most anticipated books. Like yeah. like every month, I'd be like, oh, Hellcop, yes. Let's read that one. Um, but yeah, it it's, it works singles, and but it does work really well as a trade as well. I, I think the thing that annoyed me about some events was that it felt like more time could have been afforded so i feel like this is a five issue trade yeah that could have quite comfortably had that extra issue and been a six issue trade as we used to kind of always see with stuff um i think particularly the last couple of issues where kind of everything reaches you know the big climax of what's going to happen with all the things virgil on the run what's been really going on with the kind of Hellcops HQ, Taj's story, I think a little bit more time would have let everything come together. Things happen quite quickly from issue three onwards. Yeah. I um, think I said that in the review of, I can't remember if it was the issue four or issue five. I think I mentioned when I reviewed it, like this could have been, like the pacing's fine, but there could have been more and we could have had... I wouldn't have minded another couple of issues, I think was the phrase that I used. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this pace. No. And I, I, I think you're right on that. And I think the kind of way everything's spaced out does work and you get all the information you need. I just think, 
yeah, issue five in particular feels very rapid. He in does, yeah. Events. Um, that being said, I think the as a first volume, kind of establishing the Hellcops as a premise, and we don't really get to know a lot. There are quite a lot of characters in this, but we don't really get to know a lot of them very well. We get quite a lot of Virgil and a lot of Taj, but then. I don't know. Yeah, and the senator. And the senator. He gets he gets, he gets some screen time. Two or three issues. Yeah. He's yeah, in most of the issues. He's in most of them. He does kind of... He's one of the things that he kind of drops off a little bit towards the end. I mean, he is there at the end. Yeah. But, yeah, he sort of doesn't play a huge role in the climax. But there is a plot-related reason for that. Yes. Yes, there is. Um... I don't know, how how deep into spoilers are we going with, Ken? Oh, this is the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, we, we don't normally shy away from it. We don't but... normally shy away from spoilers. Well, we'll see no. what comes up. Well, yeah, know. play it by ear. <laughs> I think. Uh, what was I saying? As a first volume, I think this does a good job of establishing the premise, giving us two core characters and yeah it's interesting there are, there are points in this volume that feel like would have taken i don't know volumes and volumes in, in another story so things like um rachel virgil's ah uh, yeah ex-wife. His, his ex-wife who is has passed away uh, yeah, has passed away and is then seen in flashbacks is kind of a plot point that I think in other books would have been ongoing for volumes and volumes and volumes. And yeah. It's kind of a four-issue arc. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, get... that's resolved and then moved yeah. on, um, which is interesting and I think adds a little something to Virgil's story. I mean, we've got that overdramatic issue one where he's like soon i'll live again (laughs) (laughs) yes um which is acknowledged by karen as being you know over dramatic and it is but i it's an arc that starts in issue one ends in like issue four quite quickly but i think it ends in issue four it does yeah (laughs) but kind of adds an extra layer to Virgil's character. I think this volume really does all it can to build who he is, he is yeah. how integral he is, kind of to the Hell Cops as an organisation, but also how he fits into Hell, kind of, or the dimension yeah. that's an approximation thereof. Um and it's interesting through him to see the explanation that every demon in hell is a regular person yep. and they've got jobs and they, you know, they get divorced and they live their lives and they do demon things. Mm. But like people do people things, those demon things are kind of boring and it's yep. not just all, you know, I don't know, poking humans with pitchforks and deals with the devil that's... It, it kind of reminds me more of like fantasy landscapes yeah. you see. So more like, I can't think of any examples now, but kind of the examples where like 
fantasy stories stroll around and you see, you know, the town full of elves and it's exactly like the town full of humans, yeah. but elfier or... It's a generic example yeah. if ever Elf. I've heard one, Elf. but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting to see hell, or, you know, quote-unquote hell, portrayed as just another town rather than... Or, yeah. Well, not a town, because it's endless, but... Just a place. Yes, and we, we see things like the dead side in Valiant. Yeah, there's a, there's a strong... I got very strong dead side vibes, yeah. Yes, I think the, the difference being that the dead side kind of takes on whatever attributes the writer decides. It's Pretty going much, to. yeah. <laughs> um, we we often don't see the same two thing, the same thing in. We often don't see the same location in the dead side twice. Yeah. Whereas here, it feels like Brian Haberlin has kind of gone. Well, here's this city in hell and this desert in hell here's the river in hell here are the locations in hell that are like the base geography of hell yeah he he definitely seems to have an idea of what hell is how how the geography of hell goes um but also the fact that some of it like the perception that virgil has of it may not entirely be as it is, like the whole um, train of the dead. Yes, the idea that that's the way your brain processes it because you'd just go mad otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite a classic thing, I guess. Yeah. To, to do with any kind of religious iconography or extreme spiritual concepts they're like ah your brain couldn't really deal with it so we've simplified yeah so it's a train although in this case it's a train with like giant insects and wings and yeah craziness um and a kind of grim reaper just stomping (laughs) stomping the aisles trying to clear off any (laughs) living beings which is ridiculous but also really works somehow i i don't know i I don't know, it's interesting the things that are kind of lifted from hell mythology or death mythology that are implanted into 1301-A. A, yeah. <laughs> that work. Um, and it's interesting how that kind of compares to what's going on on Earth and the kind of crime story we've got that's also kind of a a murder mystery but also just a straight up like i don't know corporate espionage type that's probably not the right word yeah government conspiracy sort of but not yes yeah there are multiple layers to what we're getting here some of which are completely disconnected at times. Mm. But when they do connect, it does all tie up quite neatly. It reminds me of uh, Jules Verne's Lighthouse in the sense, I mean, obviously it's the same creative team, but the storytelling where there's kind of no wasted motion, which is something we said about Jules Verne, Yeah, I think still stands up here where there's aspects like Rachel that... Yeah, and I liked that that got wrapped up in four issues 
yeah. and we didn't because dra- the dead wife as a trope. For, I feel for the, you know for the cop character, yeah. the hero character is yeah yeah detective or cop has lost his wife and he's got issues and all the rest of it, and it it just it's like this is their characterization now, and it's nice to have that little arc of him actually getting over a spoilers. <laughs> Um, in an, in a weird fantasy way, sort of. Um, but it was now sort of it's like, oh right, that's done now. So we know that about his character, and we've got that in his character. But we don't need to drag this out any more than is necessary to add to his character. We don't need it to be a constant source of angst. Yeah, but it, it it's nice that it's a layer that they can refer back to. Yeah, as needed without it overshadowing the rest of Virgil's character. Yeah, like, oh, how's your dead wife? Have you got over it? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think it, it's tough when story arcs kind of, well, not story arcs, but stories in general just kind of have to have the, you know, re- remember when your wife died, let's keep mentioning it. Or yeah. It's, it's nice to feel like that's an aspect of the character rather than a defining trait of the character. That's it. Yeah, that's the key difference, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think the kind of explanations were given for everything do work quite well, and the kind of motifs of Virgil becomes a hell cop because his wife died, and yeah, he, he wanted to see if her spirit had gone on to this other plane afterlife. Yeah, sort of. Um, explanations were given for things like when you die, your life essence or human life essence whatever they call it a soul yeah passes through this hellscape yeah and either re reincorporates reincorporates yeah either reincorporates there or passes or just directly passes on somewhere else is an interesting idea of explaining kind of a not particularly like a religious depiction of hell although we clearly see aspects of that in the depiction of hell yeah but to explain a kind of scientific, your soul passes through here on the way to wherever your soul ends up. So yeah. it doesn't really answer the question of where you end up no. or why you go through hell or why you might stay in hell. But it entertains the idea that you do. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. I that, think. that does make sense. Because <laughs> it's that's the thing about this being a different dimension is that your technology doesn't necessarily work. It's more of it's more of a magic based technology, hence the more steampunk aspect to yeah. it. It's is different. You have to be aware that there are differences with how this world operates. But it's not and and you get that, you get the concept, it's is laid out there, but we we don't need to go into the the scientific detail of why this happens or what. It it it, it just nicely establishes yeah, this is the world, these are the rules, there you go. Yeah, and it touches on the scientific Yeah. in, in ways. We, I think it's issue two that starts with Virgil explaining that they tore a hole in the fabric... The fabric? The fabric. The fabric of reality in Philadelphia, for some reason. I like this uh, Philadelphia, it says a lot. <laughs> As they tried to use a little bit of Tesla leftover tech with a little yeah. bit of Einstein leftover concepts to basically cloak a ship. And they do cloak the ship by making it 
you know, jump to a different reality. Yep. And when it comes back, they've torn a hole, a permanent hole in between dimensions, which allows them to hop between dimensions. It's just most of them are empty. Yeah, it's yeah. I liked that. That was that. I was like, there's a lot of dimensions, and but this is the focus on one dimension, and the explanation there is quite good in that this is one of the few dimensions where there's actually anything going on. Yeah, and there's a enough kind of subterfuge. Yeah, that a word I want to use. That's a it's a good word. <laughs> there's enough kind of sub. Subterfuge. Subterfuge in play that if we were told later down the line that there actually are other inhabited dimensions that we haven't seen because you can't trust the guys running the place or, um, you know, the government kept them under wraps, it would be in keeping with what we've been told in this first volume. Um, Equally, it's, it's nice to say we can go to different dimensions here's the only one we found it kind of gives you the option of going back into the explorer role that we see briggs talk about yeah. the, the kind of exploration of other worlds yeah briggs is the first hell cop he is who aesthetically at least <laughs> heavily inspired by um avatar and the legend of Korra and the kind of air tribe yeah with the kind of arrow and the big big blue yeah big staffs big blue arrow on the head um i'm not sure why that's the influence i guess it's something to do with you know the first and the yeah being the first hellcorp and the kind of spiritualist side and i just fancied painting my head blue yeah, and I I can you know I like Avatar and I like Korra, so I can yeah I, I can get on board with it, but it does seem very yeah. ah you've taken one look at that design and gone that works yeah that have a bit of that, but we do also get within the plot kind of um influence from the Avatar. Like the James James Cameron James Cameron or J- Dances with Wolves is would be the for the older folk would be the reference. I mean, if you want to be that person, Angela, yeah. Wanna... I hear we're getting yeah. like a hundred new Avatar films this year. We are, and every other year yeah, forever, forever. Um, but that kind of alien world. Let's have some resources. Is yeah, that, you know, yeah, and mm. and also the one of the first guys to discover it who is a scientist in this case, but he decides to go native and live in the world and, and his allegiances to that world as opposed to the world he's come from. Which is an interesting plot, I think. Introducing Briggs as, you know, the scientist that sees, hey, we shouldn't just steal all this stuff. We should yeah, respect this new world we've found. Is really interesting. And I, I like the relationship we see between some Hellcops and the you know hellscape and the demons that live there where there's this kind of odd alliance early on we see virgil asking his you know air quotes usual sources for information and they're all like 
doing the classic kind of ah thanks for the human glasses by the way it's like you should really come down for yeah dinner one night and all, all yeah. that kind of classic cop you know in um criminal informant yeah. type roles it it does show this weird weird kind of getting on and that's interesting within itself to see these interactions between like you know weird demons and weird admittedly weird human yeah um also stuff that gets really weird like the cherubs who are like they're creepy i don't even creepy as hell (laughs) you might say yeah who are kind of like i don't know they're not like the cherubs you expect. Like people think, oh, cherubs, you know, floating about, dropping arrows on people, making them fall in love. These are flipping terrifying. Genderless, tattooed, flying, like ruffians. They're I mean. more like a biker gang. Yeah. With wings Which and the bodies of babies. He's <laughs> horrible in well, just about every way. Yeah. And we don't even see them that frequently, and they leave such a creepy impression. Mm. We also see flying gold pigs. And yeah, with punk hairdos and earrings. No explanation there, no, no context given. But I, I like all, I think all the little aspects of things that are referenced, you know, as things that have bled over into our world it kind of works to go, you know, we talk about when pigs fly and here are the pigs flying. So yep. clearly that aesthetic had to come from somewhere and the cherubs and yeah, I, I think a lot of thought has clearly gone into hell. Yeah. I question at time and whilst I was reading this, if more thought has gone into kind of the hell dimension than has gone into the overall plot for the hell cops themselves yeah it <laughs> the i mean the plot is nothing new and it's serviceable and it's fine but yeah it's interesting that we're basically concentrating particularly having read issue six which is the start of a new arc which takes things in a completely different direction okay. to- completely <laughs> um it's interesting that we spend all this time with with hell and all that and and sort of you don't really get any idea of who these other cops are. You see Karen, his partner, and you see the captain, but you don't really see much of the overall organisation of the hell cops themselves. Taj, you've got Taj and you've got the guy who she sabotages. Um, Will Brode. That's it. Will Brody. Will Brody. Um, Spoiler alert, she sabotages him because she's trying to help Virgil. Um, but yeah, you see sort of that, but he's, she's like, what do you do? And he's like, it's classified. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Which makes sense as the issue goes on. Yeah. It makes sense. Volume goes on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, we don't see much of what, how the hell cops work. We get Briggs is the first hell cop. And I like that they started off as scientists and then it's like the government didn't want scientists. They wanted soldiers. So they brought yes. in hell cops and that's why you're just a... Did you never question why you, just an ordinary beat officer, got dragged into this kind of thing? 
but we don't spend much time looking at like overall what else do the helicopters do where do they you know is how many of them are there there are many questions about them as an organization that don't get answered which is fine because this is more of a character study on one particular helicop and his friend yes. and what he does and it's more about sort of exploring Hell, which works for the story as well, because the story is about how terrible, ultimately, humans have been to hell. And I think you need to spend a lot of time in hell with the demons, doing the things, seeing the landscape, seeing how it all works, in order to sort of, you know... I mean, that's the whole... To go back to the plot of the James Cameron film Avatar, that's the reason why we spend so much time with the Na'vi. So, ultimately, you have sympathy for them. And it's similar here... Not that you don't see where Virgil's come from, because you do see the captain um, berating Taj, who's desperately trying to keep him off the radar. And, yeah, this portal's totally broken. Yeah, don't know how that's happened. Um, And him calling in other people. Um, So you do see some of that. It's not like that's forgotten, but the key bit for there is really that's Taj's story. So sort of Taj's story is set in the Hellcops. HQ, yeah, and Virgil's story is set in hell, so you don't get too much of the overall how it works. But I don't have a problem with that. No, I think you see enough of kind of both sides to not have too many questions. Yes, I mean, I have some questions, mm. um, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly questions about the tech they use and um, how for many things. Like it, it, there is a point where he's on the omnicycle, yeah, and drives off a cliff down a sheer drop, mm, yeah. And I know they tell me that the gravity is lesser in hell, but what? <laughs> he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. But there's things like that that are baffling and like. Why is he just driving off a cliff right now? Like, like, um, is it Val Kilmer's Batmobile that just drives mm. up walls? Or was that yeah. Keaton? I can't remember. I feel like it was Kilmer. I want it to be Kilmer. Yeah. It feels like it Val Kilmer. It feels more of a, a Val Kilmer than a Michael Keaton move. You know, second best Batman. I... <laughs> we all know it's, okay. it's reverse order for the 90s. It's Clooney, Kilmer... Keaton. Yeah. How it goes. Adam West. Yeah, Adam West is still the best one. I didn't think I was going to make that. There we go, segue. <laughs> what a recurring joke I've made throughout my <laughs> podcasting life. Um, George Clooney is the best Batman, just to tell your friends. Okay. okay. Um, I don't know, th- things like that were like, okay, just driving down a cliff. Just yeah. on your giant wheel. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever you want, Virgil. Um, the Omnicycles I like. I, I like a lot of the tech designs. I think, yeah, they have this steampunk kind of chunkiness, but the explanation yeah. that's given of technology doesn't really work unless it's kind of, you know, analog gears and... Yeah. Cogs and levers and such. Um. So he has massive like headphones around his head, around his neck, but we don't know. Yeah. We never know why he doesn't use them he, for anything. He doesn't use them, no. And his uh, his goggles, he has like his sunglasses goggles. We don't really get contact 
context. We don't really get context for a lot of the gear the Hellcops carry around, but... It looks good. It looks Aesthetically. Good. I think we've had a lot of steampunk in the 2000s, aesthetically. Yep. And it's nice for someone to give you reason and not just go, I, I think steampunk's cool. I think it's yeah. better for it. Yeah, I think it's better when somebody can explain the reason everything is, you know, old school technologically without just being like, I thought it looks good. I yeah. I like that there is reason. Yeah. Um, one thing that also got me and reminded me of classic Angela. Yeah. Um, there are some points in this where, like, the example I'm going to use is Paige starts, Taj is helping Virgil out of his cell. Yeah. Like, she breaks him out. Yeah. Mid-page, later, and we cut to a different location. Yeah. Like, which reminds me of... Uh, like old gold key comics very much where you'll be like nine panel grid (laughs) panel five we've changed location inexplicably like what do you mean this is mid-page and it doesn't make sense this is where we change it's got that kind of very old school method comics method of oh the scene changes like yeah don't want to do this at the end of the page like no. on, on the turn no okay wow okay like no. right now new location could not yeah. care less yeah just at least in this there's a little you know <laughs> box in the corner that says mm. later whereas like yeah gold key comics would you just be like knew. the wall's a different color obviously it's a different place how can you not tell i thought we telegraphed this really well i don't know if that's just a coincidence of using the pages you've got or because I know other comics would have done the Virgil in his cell getting broken out, would have done it in four panels on a single yeah. page and then changed location. So that that interested me, especially I think the panel layout is really solid throughout the book. Um, I think yeah. the, the kind of choices of paneling are really nice and varied. Yeah, it reminds That's what I loved about Jules Verne's Lighthouse was the fact that it was always interesting in the way that it was put together and that continues here there's panels on panels and there's big panels and little panels and we use the white space and it's like i especially like when he's rescued the senator from the train um and the guy's just coming to terms with hey you're dead um (laughs) and yeah there's just the close-ups of his face just yeah they just please me it's really well done. I, I think art in general, obviously, you know, after Jules Verne's Lighthouse, I've, you know, I'm clearly on board with Brian Hablin's art. Yep. And yeah, I think it's as strong here as it was in Jules Verne. Um, yep. I think in some ways he gets to go further here. Um, demons get to be kind of as weird as you can imagine them to be. And they go really weird. Yeah, and I think the kind of grim, gross details of like, look at these giant black, blackened teeth yeah. of this giant monster and look at these terrifying Venus flytraps and look at yeah. the kind of detail 
gives a lot of freedom. And while Stonewall landscapes are amazing, I think. Oh, yeah. You can see the kind of real world locations they draw on to make. Yeah. In, it's interesting because yeah you you see like hey i recognize this is like you've clearly looked at like the landscape of australia and then gone this is what the desert looks mm. like in hell but it feels very real world and they talk about hell as a dimension being a planet and i think when we see landscapes there that reflect our own it makes it more believable as a planet yeah because although we see plenty of things, I hate that this is the reference I'm going to make. Although we see plenty of films and comics and stuff that show an unrecognizable landscape, like, you know, the 2015 Fantastic Four, <clears throat> um, which shows another dimension that is wildly different from our own and trying to kill you. Yep. <laughs> Here we see another dimension that's kind of the same as our own and not actively trying to kill you. It's just, here's the desert. Is the river Leth, which will, you know, wipe your brain clean. Yep. But that's it's not actively coming at you. It's not Victor Von Doom's, you know, green Green goo. Goo bleeding across the planet. I can't remember what the planet's called in uh it's not like Planet X or something. It is terrible as oh god. Why? It's sorry. Like being in a room with you that like immediately makes me start <laughs> referencing films that we've watched that are not good. Um, incidentally, if you wanted to hear more about fan <laughs> 2015's Fan Four Stick, there's a full episode on that, and it's over two hours long. It's longer than the actual film itself, <laughs> and just as fun. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um. What was my point? Oh, yeah, art, art, art good. Art good, yeah. <laughs> no, it is... I like that you've got this... Like you say, it feels like it is a full dimension. It's not just like... Because often when you have another dimension, it just feels like a smallish geographical area, like the size of a country, not a planet. Whereas yes. this definitely feels like it is a planet. Um... It, it, it's large and you just feel like there is a lot that's unexplored. And there's parts of it that don't work like Earth. Like we yeah. see Taj teleports the team that are going after Virgil to the top of a huge, you know, stone spire. Yeah. Which is surrounded by random floating rocks so they can't teleport back out. Yeah. And I mean, I like that as a scene. I like the time spent where they kind of materialize at the top of this you know huge stack of rock and are like well we're gonna have to rappel down and it's a long way (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a i don't know there's an aspect to that that i i can see being in other things it's the kind of throw away one panel scene that you would get in an animated show or you would yeah. get in a comedy film what to just set up like oh these guys are trapped and here's why it's funny yeah and i don't know i i i do think even the characters we only briefly see the interactions with them like the trackers who help virgil and senator reynolds across you know the vast plane of hell um 
kind of are given enough information. One of them is never even named, but they no. they're given enough information with them being aren't you part of the Tappan clan and aren't you feuding with yeah. this other clan and isn't this your whole deal is like not necessary to the plot but shows an understanding that every character should have a backstory and I've referenced this in a previous podcast a few weeks ago or something similar about like I know there's a thing from the Coen brothers about always planning a character's backstory so knowing more about the character than the audience knows so that even though that's not shown on screen you've at least thought it through and i guess that's the same kind of thing we see here that even though these two trackers don't really matter ultimately no um like their their character i mean they progress the story and they're valid valid valued yeah. what that they serve a purpose but there's clearly a thought gone into their backstory and that they're part of some clan we've never heard of and backstory yeah. is interesting enough to push the story forward in a new way and show virgil's knowledge yeah and he comes across as being not like a know-it-all but informed about the affairs of hell and he has an interest beyond just the crime well i mean you could argue that clans trying to kill each other is a crime um but but he's got he's got this sense of the whole way that the culture of hell works and it feels like brian hablin has like a bible where he's written all this stuff down um and he know you know it it feels like the writer is also informed like he knows exactly how this works who these characters are and he can just drop stuff like that in and it does just add a little bit more richness to the whole yeah. interaction it it feels informed enough to tell you that you know there is a world here this isn't just a throwaway detail there is enough information that if you want to know more about the Tepan, Tepan clan. Yep. I feel like Brian Hablin can tell you. Yeah, he will give you a He might not want to, but... (laughs) Hold him at gunpoint. We'll wait for, you know, when we do our interview episode with him. I mean, we're all pulling for that. Incidentally, Brian, if you want in... Please let us know. We would love um, to. Big fans of your work. I think it would be interesting to (laughs) dig into the... Endless depths of Hellcop. Yeah. <laughs> don't I don't know where no. we would go with that, but that would be fun. Um I think I've said a lot of what I had to say, mm. if I'm honest with you. I um yeah, just I liked the first issue of this. I like the first volume of this. Yep. I am really interested in how you expand on this premise now that the groundwork yeah. has been laid and they do and what i like is i'm go- I'm just gonna dip briefly into some spoilers for issue six issue six is basically set on earth yeah but we suddenly get this little expansion of the helicopters as an organization we start to see other aspects of it and what they do and also different aspects of the creatures of hell 
Which I, I, I think is kind of the direction this has to go Yeah, in. it feels like, not that we've exhausted hell, but it feels like we've fixed this for now. Briggs is there. He's fine. Mm. That can be laid to rest for a bit. What else is going on? Um, and what are the repercussions after the conclusion of this? And certainly the second arc has started off really strongly in that it's taken it in a different direction. Fair. Um, I think I think there is, you know, merits to telling a volume largely set in hell and yeah. obviously Virgil trying to find Karen's soul after he's been accused of murdering her. Yep. Is a great option to kind of dump him in this new world and explore it with him. Once that's resolved, I think it is interesting to then expand on what the Hellcops are in the, you know, standard Earth world. Yeah. Unstandard Earth world in many ways. Yeah. And that's, that, that is what happens, spoilers, in issue six. That is very much the, the premise there, which is the logical place for this to go. Yeah, I think balancing that out, so you've seen quite a lot of Hell show us how that affects Earth. And the Sasquatch, which is mentioned in this, that, you know, wandered through a soft spot in, onto yeah. Earth, got spotted, wandered back out through a soft spot. That's why there's no evidence to then revisit that idea. Yeah, I like that we're revisiting something that we've sort of already established yeah. is a thing. Next up, the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, I'm sure that exists in hell. But no, it's one thing we've not mentioned as well is that although it's... Uh, part's quite dark. We're dealing with murder and death and hell and yeah. corporate greed. Um, but there's also some real... There's moments where I did laugh out loud a little bit. So, which was similar to Jules Verne in that there is <laughs> there is a, a thread of humour that runs through it. Yeah, like Virgil getting punched by the little ice demon yeah. thing and Karen being like... I can't remember if it's Karen or Taj who says... I oh, must have been enchanted, and Virgil's like, oh, I keep telling myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I got knocked out by, you know, this tiny little monster that's half my size. Yeah. Which is funny. I, I think there is comedy to the weird darkness of this world, which is good and rewarding. I think yep. it would be... I think every good cop story has a com has comedy yeah. to it has to have i think you have to have that because otherwise it is just unrelenting misery <laughs> i don't think this would necessarily be that without the humor because i think there's enough interest that it's just interesting rather than misery yeah but it is nice to sort of have that tone where you don't have to worry about going too dark because there is there is balance um, and also, you know, the fact that this is, you know, there are some absolutely ridiculous concepts going on here. Um, it, it sort of is something that could have, you know, quite broad humour, but I think it doesn't actually go that way because, you know, we've got ridiculous things like, you know, portals and trains of the dead and the Grim Reaper and, you know, quite high concept ideas that 
you could end up quite po-faced about it, quite overly serious about it, or alternatively, you could end up not taking it seriously enough. But this strikes the right balance. It's aware that there's some absolutely crazy stuff going on, but at the same time, it's not going too far the other way. I I agree completely. Um, Just really well put together. It is. Um, Which I think is exactly what we said about lighthouse yeah um also three-headed dog not mentioned edgar true yeah um edgar's adorable three-headed puppy yeah yeah three-headed puppy everyone should have one and his mother who is rather larger (laughs) indeed yeah uh there is a yeah there is a noticeable contrast but it, it again, it's nice to draw on these mythological kind of concepts. Yeah, Cerberus is of course the dog guarding the gates of hell, and here's a three-headed dog. It works. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the uh, the yeah. I can't even do mm. words. That those little ideas of here's a three-headed dog. You yeah. Know, if, if you know the reference great if you don't it's just a three-headed dog and that's good too i think there's an effort made to have you understand these references so not not to say have you understand these references but to be like three-headed dog you care yeah 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 but not ram it down your throat if you don't know i've read certain things that get into hell mythos and kind of it feels like they are beating you around the head with a copy of Dante's Inferno. Like, <laughs> yeah, hey, you get it? Do you get it? Or kind of referencing, I don't know, is it William Blake who did kind of, um, I want to say paintings of like hell. And... He did, yeah, because he saw visions of angels in the fire as well. He was fine. He, <laughs> was, he was normal. Um, things like that. That Yeah, I've read stuff that's like, well, you know about William Blake and hell, right? He's like, I, I can't say I do. It's like, well, you're going to get a crash course on it in the next four issues, so sit down. I, I think it's nice. And don't get me wrong, nothing against referencing William Blake no. or referencing Dante's Inferno. I think it can be done well, and people do it well. Yeah. And nothing against the books I've read that are like, beating you around the head with Dante's Inferno, but <laughs> it, it's, it's a solid book. It's a good read. You know, there's a reason... However many years later. It's still going as a concept. It's still yeah. talked about and not just remembered. Oh, no, that's Dante's Peak. <laughs> it's Brosnan. Um, Dante's Peak not held in the same regard as Dante's Inferno, I imagine. By anyone but me. <laughs> I I mean, I enjoyed it. He has lava-proof tires. I know. Um, This is so off. The... It's very off peak now. <laughs> um, I'm I'm all for some Dante's Inferno references, and I'm sure there are some in Hellcop I've just I've missed or wasn't thinking about. Um, also, here's a question: Are parademons a thing? I thought parademons were a DC Comics apocalypse thing. Are parademons <sighs> just like? I think they do exist in the concept of because we talk about parapsychology if you've come across 
they're weird. So I'm guessing <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, there are paranormal demons and therefore they are parademons. Yeah. That would be my uh, guess. I think they are based in some concept that does exist outside okay. of DC. I mean, obviously, apo- I, I understand that Apocalypse is a play on Apocalypse. and Yeah. I understand that DC Comics didn't invent the concepts of hell. No. Uh, <laughs> despite what the, <laughs> despite what you know, I'm sure their legal team would have you believe. Um, I don't know, that that was one of the things specifically calling them parademons immediately put me on to. It did ring a bell. I was like, oh yeah, parademons. I don't know what they are, but it, it, the name did sort of. It was familiar, and I did and they, think they don't yeah. look dissimilar to you know. Dark sides, guys. They don't. No, they do. They do have a resemblance. So, yeah, uh, yeah. not not, not an important bit of dialogue to discuss. But I am curious about parademons. Parademons, more parademons, please. (laughs) I like Hellcop. Yeah, Hellcop's good. It's a good book. Yeah. Um, looking forward to seeing where the second arc goes. Yeah, it started off really well, so I'm I'm optimistic. That's all we can really hope for, I think. Yeah. Um I'm quite curious. I I, I feel like I should revisit some of Brian Hablin's previous things. I started reading the marked and never finished it, and now I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Um I did also notice and I wasn't sure if that's connected to the marks or just a coincidence that uh, when we see Rachel, she does have a big tattoo across her back. Oh, yeah. Might just be a coincidence and Brian what? Hablin's just into drawing tattoos after doing the marked. But... It's just like that's a, it could be a little in-joke. Yeah. Like, hey, remember I did that book? Here's, a, here's something that could be a reference to it. So maybe I'm going to go and read the marks. Yeah. Who knows? Anything else? I can't (laughs) add anything else. It's a good book. It's and also it kind of stands on its own. So I think you could read this and then happily wait for the second arc to actually come out in trade. Definitely, I don't think this. I I think some things we read and then immediately start picking up the singles, and I think with this you could quite comfortably just just wait the six months. Yeah. buy, Buy the next trade keep on rolling um which is nice i not always a fan of things where i read a trade and then immediately start feeling like i have to read the singles it's hard to find the time there is that yes (laughs) that said i'm probably gonna read the singles (laughs) (laughs) can can recommend issue six yeah um but yeah good good stuff good book yeah so I guess with that being said, we've been yep. Angela and Zach, collectively, bigger than capes. I guess we'll continue to be. We shall. And remember that comics are bigger, bigger than, than capes. Bigger than capes.